All right, man, I feel like I'm at a concert today. It's good stuff, right? Good stuff. And I was thinking about that when I came up here and I was going to say, you know, man, you guys are really on today. But I, I, as a pastor, I know that's always a double-edged thing. You, you hear, man, your, your sermon was really good today. And I'm thinking, what was wrong with last week, right? <laughs> you didn't like last no, week. no, no. But the thing is, when, when we are hearing a sermon and it's on or the music on, usually that has to do with a lot. It has to do with us more than it does what they're doing. No, it wasn't just to save. It was, that was bonus. But it is. It, you know, a lot of times we, we think that we're supposed to come in and we're supposed to be consumers of our worship, of, of the message. Uh, we're supposed to be participating in the worship, in the message. And I don't just mean physically, I mean spiritually. How is this speaking to me? How am I worshiping God? Um, we are supposed to be in, invested in it, part of it. And when we are, I know for myself, when I've had a good week, when I'm feeling thankful to the Lord, when I'm feeling blessed, when I'm feeling connected through the scriptures, through prayer, through different things, I know for me in those times, worship is wonderful. I might not even remember the songs. I might not remember the message, but I remember I felt the presence of God. And it's because I came in with a heart that was ready to receive. So, all right, we are continuing in our Lent series, the very original title, Matthew 7. Um, and today we are looking at uh, Matthew 7, beginning in verse 15, reading through verse 20. Listen for the word of the Lord. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Uh, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, but a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart. Uh, Lord, that each one of us that is gathered here today would receive what you have for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're talking about false teachings, false teachers, uh, false prophets. Um, and I think this is as relevant today as it is at any time in history. It's always been relevant, obviously. Jesus addresses it um, back in New Testament times, and it's always been true. It will always be true. You know why? When I ask you that, it's usually the same answer. Sin, right? Because where, as long as sin exists in the world, there will be selfishness. And there will be uh, different motives. And so it's important for us to be able to discern what is false teachings what, what, and thus false teachers. And we're not so much as condemning a person, but we need to be able to discern uh, what is gospel and what is not gospel. 
uh, what, what is edifying us and what is not. Um, so this is very important as in, in, our, in the climate of the world today. Um, so we have those uh, that fall under the category of false prophets. Well, here, let me first declare what it is not so, so we understand. A false teacher or a false prophet, does, uh, if to be a good one, does not mean that you are perfect. The vessel, the messenger throughout Scripture has been imperfect, except for Jesus. All of his disciples, the prophets, the patriarchs, all of them were sinful people who were a mess in their lives. And so it's not about the person or the messenger. Now, there's two different parts of that. That's what there is what you're proclaiming and also what you're living. So if you believe it's the truth, you should probably be living it, but it still doesn't necessarily negate what you said being true or not. The worst person in the world um, or the most false teacher could say it's a beautiful day today, but a little windy, right? Doesn't matter the character of that person, that's a true statement, And so truth is truth regardless of the person. Now, you would hope, if it was true and the message they were proclaiming was true, that they would be living by it and at least attempting to live by it. We all make mistakes. We're all human. And so humanness is part of being a teacher, part of being a prophet. So that's not when we say bad fruit, if somebody not fully living in it in perfection does not necessarily negate them as teacher. In some, some ways, in the Greek Orthodox tradition, they say that their suffering and their mistakes and their waywardness all happened to them so that they could be better teachers. And if we turn things around in our lives, we can use them as a way to reach people, to touch people, to connect with people, saying, yes, I was once like you, I had that same struggle. I did that same thing. So in some cases, our imperfectness is a testimony to the truth of Scripture. It's a testimony to the truth of the message of the gospel. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. When I was first um, a pastor, and I might have told you that. I know I told somebody at the door. Um, uh, I was a young man, didn't grow up in the church, wor- very worldly guy in my early college days. In mid-college, I came to the Lord. and um, So I, when I first became pastor, part-time pastor on the weekends, I was sharing that with people. And I'd share my testimonies and share what God has done in my life. And one day, uh, I, we, I was standing at the line of this little country church in Roby, Texas, and uh, this little old lady gave me this family circus. You remember those little cartoons? And it had that little boy shaking the pastor's hand and said, you know more about sin than anyone else I know. <laughs> I was like, well, if the shoe fits, right? But that helps in the message of the gospel. I know what it's like to be of the world and in the world. I know what it's like to make mistakes. I know what it's like to come and to repent and to confess and to receive the healing forgiveness of God. 
Peter knew what it was like to to, uh, deny his Lord three times, to fail. All of them knew what it was like to reject him, to hide. The prophets over and over. David knew what it was like to break every commandment there. Not this David, the, uh, the other David. Knew what it was like to break all the commandments in, in the, there were. And they knew what it was like to come back and pour their heart out to a righteous God for forgiveness. So if we're humble, that humanness is part of the correct teaching of the gospel of Christ. So I just want to clear that up. Sometimes uh, the world creeps into the church, and not sometimes, it greatly creeps into the church, and we begin to um, act, act like instead of influencing the world, the world influences us. And we begin to act like uh, the world instead of us trying to get the world to act like us. Give you an example. When I first came a pastor and moved from, got my master's and uh, went to my first pretty good sized church, they had a parking place for the pastor. It was the best parking place, closest to the building, closest to the door. It said pastor's parking place. I mean, who, that was important. And there was just something inside me that says, that doesn't seem right. Because when I read Scripture, the teachings of Scripture, the greatest among you, the leader among you, must be the greatest servant among you. So shouldn't the pastor's parking space be way out there in the corner behind the barn? I knew you'd agree with that. (laughs) Yes. And then uh, come out with books. Pastor as CEO. Analogies like that. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says the more you know of God, the less you need of the world or want of the world. Jesus says in 1045, uh, Mark, right? I have come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life. He says in the world, your leaders hold it over you, uh, rule over you. He said that's not the way it is in my kingdom. Jesus, our Lord and King, went to the cross and gave his life. So, the, so it has to be consistent. I'm jumping around. So that's one of my points. How do we know, how do we judge in a, in a time where there are so many churches, so little accountability, so much information? How can we discern what is good teaching and what is false teaching? First of all, the content. There's certain cues that you, can, that you can look at. When they're preaching, are they talking about you or them, us? Are they talking about us and how great we can be and how we can prosper and what we can do and how we can do, change the world and all this stuff? Are they talking about us or are they talking about God? Are, we, are they looking and teaching to that, that natural person that wants to hear about themselves? Or are they, in, in, in all that um, we can do, are they talking about what God in Jesus Christ has done for us? That's one of the keys. And so, Scripture will always 
one, one of uh, an exegesis tool is to understand that Scripture always informs Scripture. When you want to understand Scripture, don't go to someone's commentary. That's them trying to understand Scripture. Go to Scripture. And does it match? Is it affirmed? Is it upheld? So, first place we go to test the content is Scripture. It needs to be consistent throughout. And so one theme we see throughout Scripture is grace. Even in the Old Testament, a lot of people say, well, the Old Testament, there's no grace. Oh, there's only grace. They continually, God's people that he made a covenant with, continually rebelled against him, continually served other gods, continually rejected him. And what did God do? Continually. You return to me, I'll return to you. So there was grace throughout That's consistent. It's consistent all the way to the cross and from the cross until now. And and so content also needs to be affirmed by the body of Christ. We might be feeling something in our hearts, but our brother and sister in Christ says, "Mm, I don't think that's right. I don't think you should be doing that. I don't think that's what Scripture says. And as a part of knowing Scripture is it should be affirmed by God's nature. You know, it always amazes me when we hear these stories about cults. We hadn't heard too much, but, you know, even some TV evangelists can be some cult leaders. And, uh, but all these cult leaders, Jim Jones and the, uh, David Koresh and some of these more extreme cult leaders, when they started doing some of these things, it always fascinates me, astounds me. It's like, did you not read the Bible? When he began to put himself in the center, when he began to have these, uh, I don't want to go too deep, issues and, and take on many wives and his friends, and didn't that raise a red flag to you? When, when it became coercive and a mandate... Isn't that different from God's nature, who doesn't force us to do anything, lets us go out in the pig pen if we want to? He gave us that. Does that, uh, didn't, it, didn't you think to look in about how that um, lines up with God wanting us to choose him, to love him? See, they could say, that's that's not God's nature. So it has to be consistent through all of those things. And sometimes sometimes it's not just um, selfish ambitions or selfish motives. A lot of times it is. It's either about getting power, getting recognition, getting affirmation. It becomes not just about the congregations. It's not just the congregations wanting it to be about them. It's the pastors wanting it to be about them. I'm going to tell you something. I probably shouldn't say this on camera. But walk to Emmaus. We've had some people go on the walk to Emmaus, right? I think everyone, I can't see everybody out there, but we've had several. And I think every one of them have had a fantastic experience It was one of the most formidable things they've done in their Christian life. Would you all kind of agree? Would anyone disagree? David? Oh, (laughs) right. Um, 
Yes, it is one of the best tools we have of making disciples. It's designed to make existing Christian leaders Christian leaders and get them fired up about the, And without fail, it's the best tool that I've seen that does that. And yet our conference talks about how can we make disciples? We don't push it. Some pastors are against it. You know why? Because they feel like they don't have control. People come back on fire and they want to do this and they want to do that. And it's like, hey, hey, wait a second. That's outside of me. And so we can, we can teach falsely for all kinds of reasons. But let's get to kind of what we do need to look for. Because we can't scrutinize everything. We can't uh, scrutinize every sermon we hear. Or, you know, people come to me if they're moving and say, hey, what should I look for in the church? Well, number one thing you look for, are they saying Jesus a lot? All right? There's some you get in there and they don't say Jesus too much, if at all. Well, it all kind of, again, teaching. It all comes down to Jesus. That's not the only part, but that's the key part. That's where our Christian life starts, with Jesus Christ on the cross. And so you listen for that. You listen for, or do they preach works? You all know, if you listen, I have an issue with that, right? All false doctrines, whether it be prosperity, uh, morality, uh, social justice, All of them, at their core, if you drill down, have the same false teaching that Jesus is speaking about when he talks about false teaching, or when Paul is talking about false teaching in Scripture. They all have the same core foundational, and that is works. Works of the law. That you have to, it's an if-then. If you do this, God will do this. If you pray right, if you do right, if you say right, if you do, if then, it's always, you listen to that kind of language, that's a false gospel. Because it is not an if then. It is a done. God has already done all he needs to do for you in Jesus Christ. He has forgiven you. He has given you grace. He has shown you mercy. He has declared you righteous even though you're not He has done all of those things. And those aren't things you have to earn or you have to do something in order to get. It is done. It's not a do. It is a done. I was listening to a preacher this week, uh, an older associate of mine at another church. We go back and forth with theology, and we talk a lot about law and grace. And I was listening to, and it was good teaching. He's a Missouri Senate Lutheran, so he has the law down good. All right? They talk law and grace, and they emphasize grace. And I listened to this Episcopal preachers that they talk law and grace, but they emphasize grace. But he was teaching this, and, and it was just, I said, there's something missing. There's something missing. Hey, what he's saying is right. It's good preaching. But what's the problem? And he finally got to, he said, because what we do, we go law, grace, law. The law is supposed to drive us to Jesus where we experience grace. But then he goes, our churches come back and say, you got to do all these other laws. 
You want to be a good Christian? You want to feel good? You want to prosper? You want to do right? You want self-improvement? Do this, do this, do this. What's your application? And then all of a sudden, he goes, no wonder there's so many Christians burnt out, sad, or mad. Because we're just giving them a whole lot another laundry list to do. When you leave here, you should bring your sins. You should confront your sins. You should confess your sins. You should repent your sins. But then know that it has been forgiven. That's why Jesus says, and I've tell you this all the time. That's why Jesus said, my burden is light. He wasn't talking about sin. He was talking about what the Pharisees and the religious leaders were putting on them. All these rules and regulations that they wouldn't even keep. And so they left beat down, burdened, overwhelmed. Just another thing they wouldn't complete or couldn't live up to. That's not the gospel. The gospel says, yes, you are a sinner. And you're a mess, but you're forgiven. You're covered. Jesus has done it all for you. And don't forget it. And that's the gospel. And the world needs the gospel more than ever. And so you need to know what the pureness of the teaching of the gospel is. Yes, there is law. And law tells us, identifies our sin. And law tells us we can't, reminds us that we can't be, keep it perfectly. And in doing both those, those things, it says, you need a savior. You need help. It points us to Jesus. And then when we find Jesus, we receive grace and forgiveness and peace. And we are reborn by the Spirit. And then we begin to live in the Spirit. One, uh, one more thing. So when I say, I want you to live by the means of grace, I want you to read your scriptures, I want you to pray, I want you to um, uh, serve, I want you to fellowship with the body, that sounds like a bunch of do's, right? Sounds like law, grace, law. But it's not. I don't care how you do it, what you do it, I don't care if you do it with an agenda, but that's how you stay connected to God, When I don't feel close to God and I don't know what else to do, I just open the Bible and start reading. No agenda, no purpose. Lord, you take me. I know you'll meet me there. When we meet on Monday night, there's different groups in our church. One of them, I meet with uh, men on Monday night, and we come in. There's no agenda. There's no teaching. There's no way. There's just sharing and pouring out. And every one of us, when we leave, we feel more connected to the Spirit. That's why it's about connection. That's how we become disciples. It's not a curriculum to learn. It's about staying connected faithfully to God and to one another. And that is the teaching everyone at its core should be teaching us. It's not easy. There's no criteria, but there is the Spirit. The Bible says that you will know a teacher by their fruit. If you're in a church and there's self-righteousness, there's arrogance, there's division, not just within the church, but a, a sharp division with those others in the world. There's malice, there's greed, there's envy. There's, it's the Spirit of it. If you're in a church where there's unity, 
not conformity, but unity, love and disagreement, grace and mercy, forgiveness, you'll feel that spirit. And that's where you need to be. That's, it, it is by their fruit. And the spirit that you feel when you're talking to somebody or listening to somebody or in a community of believers, it is the spirit. That's the fruit. The fruit of the spirit. If there is a spirit of love and joy and gentleness, patience, self-control, goodness, then as a whole, the right thing's being preached. And that is the fruit that you're looking for. People with bad motives don't produce good fruit, no matter how shiny it looks. And people with good motives can't produce bad fruit. You produce the fruits of the Spirit. And that is what Jesus says in our Scripture that we need to look for. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your grace and for your mercy. I thank you that uh, your spirit continues to pour out into us. Help us to stay connected, to know that the goal of discipleship is to be connected. The worst moments in the disciples' life was when they uh, ran, when they were distant, when they were disconnected from you. Lord, help us to know it is all about being connected. Help us to know that we cannot know the things of God without the very Spirit of God. So we must stay connected in a way that the Spirit of God is strong within us, that we can identify those that are teaching the gospel that brings life. It is in all these things we pray. Amen.